Well, Northside family, it's good to be with you and online. We want to welcome you in. And can we just give God one more thank you for what he's doing today in Donna's life and on IUS's campus? I will say, Doug Rich, I thought you were going to have air horns during that baptism, man. You let me down. No, I'm joking. No, I love uh, our life group leaders here. And I'm telling you, that is just uh, the fruit of what God does and why we do this in community. I know we're in a big room together, but I'm telling you, life change happens together. And like they said in the baptism, Donna's life change happened over a period of time of having people walk with us through situations and over years together. And this is what it means to be the church together, that we come together, that we allow God to do a good and and holy work in us because we need each other. And uh, I'm really excited about where the Lord is leading us over my steady break. Had a time just to kind of rest with my family a little bit, but then had a lot of time to pray with our leaders and to begin to, to sense where the Spirit is calling us into the new year. And I can't wait to experience all that God has for us through the end of the year. And uh, one of the things I want to invite you guys to have uh, in your mind is this. On August 22nd, we're going to begin our, our all-church study called Blueprints for a Rebuilding Year. And uh, this is a year of rebuilding, that, that we're rebuilding, things are changing, things are, are becoming new, new schedules, new careers, new opportunities. And we're going to look at the book of Nehemiah about how God used a man, but not just a man, he used the entire Israelite community to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. See, this is the beauty that God has. He has an opportunity and a calling for every single one of us in this place to do God's work to step in to his calling. Now, here's the thing, just a quick spoiler on Nehemiah. The reason why we're going to review it and walk through it and allow God to shape our life is this. They rebuilt the entire walls in Jerusalem. Unbelievable. Ragtag group did incredible things. That's what it looks like to be the church. But then here's what happened at the end of Nehemiah. They rebuilt physically, but here's the problem. They didn't rebuild spiritually. And when Nehemiah came back years later, what he found was this. People were in disarray. And the most important thing you and I can do with the rest of 2021 is this, to rebuild our lives spiritually in this season, to allow God in to every area of our life, to say, God, I want to be a part of your kingdom. God, I want to step into what you're doing. One of the things that's going to come up too during that series is September 10th and 11th. Fellas, we didn't know if we could get this done, uh, but God's opened the door. And on September 10th and 11th is our men's challenge weekend. And uh, this is yeah, four people going to be there. It's going to be inside. No, no, it's, it's really, it's a life-changing opportunity for us fellas to get together. And God always works in that. Sometimes we get away in nature, man. There's going to be incredible times. It's going to be at Country Lake this year, just closer. It's 20 minutes and uh, away. It's just going to be Friday night, all day Saturday, and we'll finish Saturday night. But I want to invite you men to be there. Wives, I want to invite you to go ahead and write it into your husband's calendar right now. And uh, whether he wants or not. But this is a life trans transformation time that we get away and we say, God, we want you to do a good work in us. And uh, leading up to that, that's why we're doing this series today called It's Complicated. Because relationships in our life right now is complicated. And so if life is complicated for you, I just want to kind of give you a little bit of peace to understand every single one of us are facing complicated situations. It may be in your family. It may be in your marriage. It may be in your work. Talk to a couple of friends. There's a national kind of phrase going on right now in the work industry right now. It's called the great resignation. And what's happening is this. 40% now is the national average in all work environments of staff turnover. It's 40%. I had a guy come up to me last service. He said, actually, in my food industry where I work, our national average is 47% of job turnover right now. 
And he said, life is changing fast. He said, people are, are ending our jobs. New things are happening. And what we find is there's a lot of things going on to make our lives complicated right now. There's a lot of things changing right now in our world. And not only are things changing in our world complicated, we're complicated ourselves, aren't we? Man, let, let's just be honest. You may not say it out loud. We got issues, don't we? Right, every single one of us, we, we got issues. And what we want to do today and over the next couple of weeks is we want to talk about those issues. We want to talk about the issues in our lives. We want to talk about the issues in our relationships. Today, we're going to talk about the issue of conflict in our relationships. Some of you just broke out in a cold sweat. Hang on with us, all right? But what today we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about conflict. Next week, we're going to talk about how communication is complicated. Then we're going to talk about control. And then finally, we're going to talk about commitment. And what we're going to find is this. God has something to speak into the complications of our life. Not that it makes our life easy, but what happens is God begins to simplify so we can begin to grow into the people that God's called us to be. That's why today we're going to be talking about conflict. And here's why we need to talk about conflict. Because we need to realize how we're handling conflict in our life because conflict follows us wherever we go. Every single one of us, we deal with conflict. The only thing is this, if I can be honest, I don't always know how to deal with conflict. Matter of fact, this is how my preferred deal is this. I see conflict, I run from conflict. Right? There it is. I'm out of here, right? You ever, you ever had maybe conflict with somebody and you're driving and, and they come around a turn and you come around a turn, you see, you know, you make eye contact, you're like, act like you didn't see them, right? You know, and you just, you just kind of avoid conflict. Now, here's the deal. Some of you, we avoid conflict. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to get into it. Some of us, though, you go, oh, no, no, no. I don't avoid it. I attack it. I eat conflict for breakfast, right? You're like, and we're going to pray for you, right? And, and here's what happens. And oftentimes, this is why. A lot of times, it depends on how you were raised. For some of you in your family, you never saw your parents argue. So when conflict comes up in your life, you're like, whoa, what is this? Some of you, the only way you communicated in your family is that you saw your parents yell at each other. And so all you know is attacking. And so you're the hammer and everything is a nail. Boom, that's how we're going to handle conflict. And here's the thing that's missing in both avoiding and attacking conflict. Vulnerability. See, when we avoid conflict, here's what happens. Nothing begins to change in our life. We just avoid it and avoid it and avoid it until one day we have to face it. And the other thing about attacking conflict is this. Sometimes we can believe because we attack conflict and we deal with conflict and we go after conflict. The only thing is this. When you miss vulnerability, here's the thing that you miss. The chance that you and I could actually be wrong. And so since we're attacking conflict, we're actually missing our errors. We're missing where we're sinful. Now here's the deal about conflict. This is what I want us just to do today. Whether you avoid it, whether you attack it, wherever you're at, this is what I just want us to begin to start a little bit today is this. Can we just acknowledge the fact that conflict is in our lives today? Let's just be open and honest today. Even if you're online, man, let's be honest with ourselves. Let's be honest be between God. Let's just acknowledge the conflict that we carry in our life today. It may be with somebody, maybe with yourself, maybe with, with the work and conditions, something going on in the world. But you and I carry conflict into this world. And here's what you need to know about that. According to scripture, this is what we find about conflict. You and I were never made for it. Did you know that? When God created the world, he didn't create it with conflict in the beginning. This is why you and I are not very good at conflict. 
You weren't made for it. I wasn't made for it. This is why we want to avoid it or what we do is we attack it because we're afraid of what that means. And as a matter of fact, you see this in the life of Adam and Eve at the very beginning. God creates peace. It's called the shalom of God, the peace of God. There's no sin. And then when sin enters the world, conflict enters the world. This is why even if you're not a Christian here today or you look all across the world, you know what the entire world wants? Even if they're not a follower or believer of God, you know what they say? We want world what? Peace. Because what they know is this, I'm not made for this conflict. My, my soul can't handle this. I don't know how to process this. I don't know what to do with this. And that's right. That's a repercussion of sin. This is why as soon as sin entered the world, Adam and Eve, you know what the first thing they did? They avoided God. They ran away from God. God shows up and says, where are you? And you know what Adam said? He, he said, well, we, we, we were afraid because basically we, we did what was wrong, so we ran away from you, God. And then he says this. God's going, well, what would you do? He goes, well, it's the woman you put here with me. He begins to attack everybody else. One, he's running from God, and he's like, well, no, uh, it ain't me. It's her, and it's your fault. It is 100% your fault, God. And it's like, whoa, Adam, settle down. And you know what he's doing in that moment? He's going, I'm not made for this. I don't know how to handle this. Matter of fact, what you find all throughout scripture is this. You find broken family and broken family relationship page after page. Even when you get in to the New Testament, you think surely life's going to get better in the church and the conflict's going to go away. What you're going to find is this. Yes, we have Jesus, but there's also conflict in the church. In Acts chapter 6, you see the Grecian widows not showing love and compassion and they begin to give favoritism to the Jewish widows. There becomes actually favoritism and racism in the church, not in the world, but in the church. And they have to address racism and they have to address favoritism. Matter of fact, you see Paul say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 about marriage. Here's the single guy. He writes about marriage because he knows things are going to come up and he goes, hey, to be married, it's not a sin. But listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 28. He says, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. Welcome to premarital counseling. Hey, if you get married, you're going to have trouble. God bless you, right? You know what I'm saying? That's what Paul's saying. And you know, he's not saying marriage is wrong. What he's saying is this. Oftentimes when we get married, man, it's going to be so great. We're never going to fight. It's going to be this. It's going to be this. And as soon as conflict shows up, it's because you and I weren't made for it. And Paul says, hey, heads up, not wrong to get married, but here's the deal. You better believe conflict is coming your way. Tension is coming your way. Well, how do you and I handle conflict? See, this isn't just for marriage. This is for all of us as Christians. And oftentimes we don't know how to handle conflict, and here's why. It's not just because you're not good at it and certain people are good at it. How you and I handle conflict, this is what we got to understand. It's learned. It's when you and I learn the ways of Jesus to handle conflict. So if you're here today, you go, I got conflict and I don't know how to handle it. Man, you are in the right place. God wants to teach you and I. Matter of fact, this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 in his Sermon on the Mount. He knows that conflict is going to be a part of everyday Christian life. We don't need to avoid it. We don't need to attack it. We need to acknowledge it and allow God to do a new work in our broken places and the complicated places of our life. In his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus begins to say this. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. 
that your brother's got something against you, that there's a conflict in your life. What he's saying, they would go to synagogue and they would bring offerings for their sin to take away their sins, much like we come here, except we don't need to bring any animals. Jesus is taking away his sin on the cross. But when we come to church here, Jesus says, if you come to church and you remember that your brother has something against you, he says, leave your gift there in the front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Jesus, sometimes this is what happens. He's going, don't be mistaken, guys. You can go to synagogue or for today, we can go to church. But he's going, you know what's just as important as going to church? Reconciling with your brother. Reconciling with those that you have conflict. Reconciling the broken and complicated areas of your life. And you know what he says? He goes, you go first. You know what Jesus was calling his followers in and calling you and I to do today? If we're going to learn the ways of conflict, if we're going to allow Jesus to deal with this, this is what he's saying. He's calling you and I to face our fear of conflict. We've acknowledged that every single, by, every single person in this room, we have conflict. And what Jesus is saying is this. By my power, I want you to face your fear of conflict. Our fear is this. If we face it, what if we go and we try to reconcile with somebody and they don't, wanna, they don't want it? Or what if we try to go and talk about something that's going on in our life and they blow up even more at us? And so what happens is we begin to have these scenarios in our minds. And so you know what we do? We run away from them. One of the traps that will happen in our life, one, it's a great temptation for all of us to do is this. Someone that you have a conflict with, here's what can happen. It's good to have mentors in our life. It's good to have seasoned Christians in our life that we can bring our problems to. But we got to be careful. Here's a trap that we'll fall into. We'll begin to talk about someone, but we'll never talk to someone. And in this passage, Jesus is saying, if you really want to deal with a conflict, if something comes up on your mind, he's going, we need to go first to them. Oftentimes, this is what we'll believe. We're like, well, I'll forgive somebody who's done me wrong once they come and apologize. I will gladly forgive them. Jesus didn't say that in this passage, did he? What he said, he said, you first Go and reconcile. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says it this way. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Live at peace with everybody. Begin to say, God, okay, if it depends on me, I'm afraid of this. I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm going to go and reconcile with people. This is why, because what Jesus knows is this. He goes, I want you to go reconcile, and then I want you to come back to the worship service. Because this is what he's saying. Our worship of God is impacted by our conflict with people. You ever had a conflict so much that it's weighed you down, you just go, I, I, I can't go out to dinner tonight. I mean, the conflicts overwhelmed your soul and your mind. And what can happen is this, when we allow these things to be unaddressed and we don't acknowledge them and we don't deal with them, it begins to overwhelm our heart. It begins to overwhelm our mind. And Jesus is saying, reconciling with your brother is just as important as going to church. So from now on, if any of you get up to go to the restroom, we just know you're going to reconcile with somebody. So give them a high five when they leave. That's right. You go reconcile. That's right. Good. Make that phone call. All right. That's what we'll just assume on that. But here's the deal. Sometimes we get lost in conflict. And here's why. We don't know how to resolve it. We don't know what the goal of conflict is. And Jesus gives us the goal of conflict resolution. Here it is. You may want to write this down. The goal of a conflict. If conflict comes up, don't avoid it. Don't attack it. 
but allow God to reconcile it. This is what he says. He says, first go and be reconciled to your brother. That word reconcile means this, to renew the relationship with somebody. Conflict resolution is a great thing. But you know what conflict resolution is? It's when you and I have conflict and we come to an agreement on a set of ideas. You know what's better than conflict resolution though? Conflict reconciliation. Because conflict uh, reconciliation isn't just about ideas. Conflict reconciliation is about the relationship. Could it be that the problem in our world today and even in the church today and with ourselves is this, is that we are so focused on a reason that we've lost the relationship. See, this is why we feel like the divide in the world is just growing more and more apart. Yes, let's think wise about issues. Let's think wise about conflict. But here's the deal. Let us not lose the relationship. Let us not lose the relationship. Some of you are going, Nate, I know what you're saying. That sounds great, but you don't understand how much I'm not compatible with the person I have a conflict with. Can we just understand this? None of us are compatible with anybody. (laughs) You know why? Because none of us are exactly like anybody else. Just quick question if you're married, are you like your spouse? Mm -mm. Some of you are like, that's right. But what we say, opposites what? Opposites attract. You go, and that's not a bad thing. But what happens is this, opposites attract. And what you don't say is this, you don't go, I'm just looking for somebody identical like me. What you're saying is I want to love somebody. And what you're saying is this, even through the differences, even through the conflicts, I'm willing to love them and not lose the relationship. See, that's what makes marriage great, or that's what makes friendship great, or that's what makes being a church member great, is that we look at one another and we go, hey, we might have different personalities. We might have different ways of doing things, but here's the thing. We are not going to lose the relationship with one another. We're not going to lose it. And this is what gets us through the conflict when you and I don't know how to deal with it. I love what Rick Warren says about this. His phrase is this. He says, resolve to not dissolve the relationship. May resolve to not dissolve the relationship. Now, some of you are going, Nate, that will be an act of God. I know. What we need today in our relationships is an act of God. What we need in ourselves is an act of God. What we need in this world is an act of God. What I want to do with our remaining time is I just want to look at one family in the Bible. And it's the family in Genesis chapter 25 through 35 who dealt with unbelievable amount of conflict. I'll oftentimes have people come to me and go, Nate, our family's having problems. Can you direct me to a family in the Bible who really had their life together so we can model them? And I'll go, no, I can't. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, because there's not one. Right, you know what we find in the Bible? Every family is jacked up in the Bible. So if you come in here today going, my family's jacked up, you're in the right place, right? If you're online, you're embarrassed to come to church. Don't worry. We know your family's jacked up, all right? We already know it. No, no, no. Here's the thing with families. In every family, there is great blessing. And in every family, because we're sinners, there's great brokenness. We just are. 
In this family, in Genesis chapter 25, we're going to look at two brothers, Jacob and Esau. And they come from a great family line. Their father, Isaac, is Abraham's son. If you think they're going to have it together, God moved in Abraham's life. He said, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to the nation. God's going to work through this family. And you know what we find in this family? We find conflict all over the place. We find relational conflict, parental, emotional, personal, marital, in-law, spiritual conflict. There's conflict all over. Matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 25, this is what we find. We find that Isaac and Rebekah are trying to get pregnant and they can't get pregnant. They're barren. Anybody have that conflict in your life? And you're trying to start a family and you can't. And then what we find as we read the passage is this. They go through barrenness and they go through that conflict only to get pregnant with twins. Now they have a brand new conflict. Right, we go from no kids to two. It's like, whoa, God, stop with the blessings. All right, you know, like, well, like, that's a lot, all that. And here's what happens. You know, they, they, they're going through this conflict. And this is what it says in verse 24. It says, when the time came for Rebecca to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. And the first came out was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. Now, let me just tell you, you know what that word Esau means? It means hairball. I'm not kidding. You look down in your Bible. That's what it means. And we shall name him hairball. How jacked up are you? It gets worse though. They name him Hairball, and it says after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. Already these brothers are at each other. He didn't like being the younger brother. Already he's out there, and his name was Jacob. And, and I know if your name's Jacob here, I know this isn't what it means, right? You know, but when they named Jacob here, that word Jacob means deceiver, hairball, and liar. That's what you call your kids? <laughs> Told you, man, this is why you came to church. Don't you feel better about yourself already? You're like, man, I'm not alone in this. It says Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. And it says the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter and a man of the open country while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. And Isaac, the dad who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. You read between the lines there? Parents are starting to show favoritism to one boy over another. We know what happens to men when their dad never says the words, I love you, son. Messes you up. What we see here is this. Isaac was quick to tell Esau, I love you, boy, because you're like me. You hunt, you kill. Jacob, go hang out with your mom. Conflict, brokenness. And the family, it says, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I am famished. And he says, Jacob replied to him, first, sell me your birthright. As a brother, he doesn't go, well, yeah, here's some food. You know what he says? He goes, I'll give you food, but give me your, your portion of the will. Give me your Money that's promised to you in the future. You give me that and I'll give you food. Doesn't sound like brotherly love here. 
He says, look, I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread, some lentil stew, and he ate and drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. See, this whole family conflict begins to play out. And what happens is this later on, I can't get into detail, but man, if you read chapters 25 through 35, you will see layer after layer of conflict. Matter of fact, as Isaac's about ready to die, he tells his son Esau, he goes, I'm about ready to die. Go out, kill one more wild game so I can have a last great meal with my boy, some wild game, some tasty food, and then I'll give you my blessing. Rebecca, the wife, hears that, goes and tells the other son, Jacob, he says, hey, listen, your dad's about ready to bless Esau. Here's what I want you to go. Literally, the text says, go and take deerskin and put it on your arms because that's how hairy your brother is. Put his clothes on. Let's cook a meal. Take it to dad so you'll get his blessing. That's messed up. Parents deceiving one another, playing favorites with one another. And so it happens, and Isaac blesses Jacob, Esau comes home, he prepares the meal, and what happens is this, he, he goes to give it to his, his dad, and his dad goes, wait a second, I've already blessed you, what are you doing here? He goes, well, that wasn't me. He goes, I've given your brother your blessing. Listen how Esau responds. Chapter 27, verse 41, it said, then Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. You know how Esau is going to handle conflict? We're going to attack it. I'm going to kill the conflict. You know what Jacob's going to do? I'm going to run away and avoid the conflict. Jacob runs away. Runs away, starts a whole brand new life. Starts a whole new family, runs away from home. Here's the only problem. You know what happens when we don't deal with our conflict? We run into it, don't we? Jacob runs away. He finds a woman he wants to marry. And the father-in-law says this, I'll give you Rachel, but here's the deal. You got to work seven years for me. He's like, deal. Hey, women, real quick, find a man who will work seven years for you. Amen. Right? You know where we're going. That's some love, man. Jacob's like, I'll work seven years, wedding night. Laban gives the older daughter Leah, not Rachel, to Jacob. And the father-in-law rips him off. And he says, hey, we made a promise. I've worked seven years. You'd give me Rachel. And he goes, okay, I will work another seven for me. See, here's the thing in life. You and I, we're going to keep running into it. And we better know how to deal with conflict. We better begin to understand one of the biggest things we've got to understand is this, is our family of origin with conflict, the way our parents dealt with conflict, the way our grandparents have dealt with conflict, the way that you internally deal with conflict, allowing God to come in and go, God, would you begin to reframe and God, would you begin to change the conflict? And here, you know how God begins to change that? He wants to reconcile. He is the God of reconciliation. He is the God of change. As we saw in the baptism, God changes us. We don't have to worry about changing ourselves. He, by the power of the Holy Spirit, changes us. But here's how we change. One of the steps that we find in this is you and I have to begin to own our part of the conflict. Isaac and Rebekah would never own their part of the conflict. Jacob and Esau wouldn't own it. 
Now, here's the deal. For some of us in this room, we would say, you know what? 99.9% of the conflict I face or a conflict I'm facing right now is their fault. And that may be true. But can you own the 0.01% of the conflict that you do own? And just to say, God, would you help me to own my part of the conflict? We started doing this with our boys, uh, Carter and Zeke. Uh, they're much like that of kind of nitpicking each other. They're five and three, so they're always going back and forth. And early on, we would tell Carter when he would do something to his younger brother, we'd say, you go say you're sorry. You know how you'd say it? Sorry. Now you go back and you say sorry for how you said sorry, right? And what happens is when you say sorry, you don't mean it. And, and so one of, the th one of the wisdom we got about raising kids was this. Don't have your kid go and tell sorry. Have your kid go and say this. Would you forgive me? See, what happens is when you say stuff like that, you don't just say sorry, but what you're doing is this. You're owning your part of the conflict. Had a couple come up last night after the service, and they go, hey, somebody told us to even take that a step further, and not just to say, would you forgive me, but for you to say exactly what you need forgiveness for. Would you forgive me for stealing your Lego or whatever it is in your life, but would you forgive me for doing exactly this. Because what happens is when our kids begin to take ownership of their problems and their mistake, here's what happens. It begins to change them. When you and I begin to take ownership, when we begin to own our problems, it changes us from the inside out. Finally, in chapter 32, what we find is this. Jacob's had enough of his father-in-law and he's like, I got to get out of here. I got to go back home. And what's happening is this, he's going to go back home and he's like, there's a good chance Esau is going to be there. And the last time I saw him years ago, I know he wanted to kill me. That's why I ran away. And so maybe, maybe time's healed everything. You ever found out time doesn't heal anything? Matter of fact, what I found in my own life, the longer I don't address something, the worse it gets internally in me. Chapter 32 and verse 3, Jacob starts making his way home. And it says this in verse 3, it says, Jacob sent messengers ahead of himself to his brother Esau in the land of Sire, the country of Edom. And he instructed him, he said, this is what you are to say to my master Esau, that your servant Jacob, you already see his language? You're my master, I'm the servant, I know I'm wrong, I know and I'm coming home. And he instructed him, say this, say that I've been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. And I've got cattle and donkey and sheaves and goats, men servants, maid servants. And now I'm sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. Basically, I know I've messed up. I know I messed up and I'm coming home. And basically what he's saying is I have all these gifts. I'll give them to you. I'll make this right. I know I've taken your blessing. I know I've taken your birthright. I, I, I'm here to make it up. This is the response he gets in verse 6. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. I like the first part of that sentence. Esau's coming, yeah. And the most 400 bad dudes he knows are coming with him. Why do you need 400, Esau? What do you do? What do you do when you're in that spot? You know you've wronged somebody and they're coming with power against you. I don't know about you. I just start praying my guts out. God, would you do something here? You know what? That's exactly what Jacob does. 
Verse 7, it says, in great fear and distress, Jacob divided up the people who were with him into two groups, the flocks and the herds, the camels as well. And he thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the other group will, get, will be able to run away. They'll be able to get away. And it says this in verse 9, then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, go back to your country to your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two groups. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted." What happens in this moment is Jacob begins to own his part of the conflict. But there's something deeper happening here. Before he's about ready to face his brother, before you and I face the conflict of our day, there's a deeper thing you and I need to face. And if you're taking notes, you want to write this down. That conflict is always spiritual. It's not just physical. The problems that you and I have with one another, the problems that you and I have with ourselves, actually the problem you and I have is a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue that we need God to resolve, that we need God to reconcile in our lives. I love this prayer of Jacob, three phrases that he prays. If you're dealing with conflict right now, it could be a great phrase for you to pray. Three things he prays here. One is he prays this, God, I am unworthy. That could be one of the greatest things that you and I pray right now today and maybe this week is, God, I know the conflict. I know the damage that I've done in the lives of other people. And God, I am unworthy and I need your grace. Or it's just simply this, God, would you save me? I'm in a conflict right now. I don't know how to get out of. Would you save me? Or God is calling you. Maybe you've done nothing wrong, but you know you need to confront somebody on the wrong that they've done to you and you are scared to death. And your prayer is this, God, I know I need to go reconcile Jesus. I know you'll work through me, but can we just be honest? I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I don't want to go have this conversation. What's interesting though is before Jacob meets Esau, Right before in chapter 32, what happens is this. He spends a whole night wrestling with God and he doesn't even know he's wrestling with God. He begins to wrestle with God and here's what's happening. This is why God is wrestling with him is this. Jacob has wrestled his whole life with people. He's wrestled with his brother and his brother being the favorite son of his father. He's wrestled with his father-in-law. He's wrestled with himself and the sin and the conflict that he's had in his life. He's wrestled with everybody. But what happens is this, when he begins to wrestle with God, God does something new in his life. Listen what God does in his life in verse 28. After they wrestled all night, Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And he says this in verse 28, God says to Jacob, says, then the man, he didn't even know it was God he was wrestling with. He says, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. You know how you and I overcome the conflict that we face in, the, in our life? We don't just struggle with people. We wrestle through prayer with God. And here's what happens when we begin to get God involved in the conflicts that we have. He begins to change who we are. You know what was so powerful about that baptism today? You saw a woman who has been wrestling with God for years. And today what we celebrated was that a woman has allowed God to overcome every conflict and every sin in her life. Amen. 
This is what God does. See, we have a God of reconciliation. We have a God who's longing, no matter how long you've been carrying the conflict, you have a God who longs to redeem and reconcile all things. That's what Paul writes in Colossians, that in Christ, all things hold together. That in Christ, everything that is broken, the conflict that you and I carry, he is reconciling inside of us. And what Jacob needed to do that day was this, before he met Esau, he needed to go and wrestle with God. He needed to go and get God involved in the conflict. And what happened was this, his life began to change. And after that night in prayer, he gets his family together and he goes to meet his brother, going, all right, 400 dudes are coming. I'm probably gonna go die, but you know what? Even if I die, me and God, we're good. I know who I am. He's changed my name. He's changed my life. I'm no longer deceiver. I'm Israel. I'm God's son. I have the blessing of God. I can face whatever conflict now. And he goes and he meets Esau. And listen to what it says in chapter 33, verse one. Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 dudes. Oh, help me Jesus. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maidservants. And he put the maidservants and the children in the front, Leah and her children next, and then Rachel and Joseph in the rear. Man, you put the women and children out front, Jacob. Come on, dude. And he himself, though, went on ahead. And he bowed down on the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Hey, Esau, I'm owning my part. I've wronged you. I'm here just to acknowledge I've wronged you. And probably when he bowed down, he was like, this is it. 400 dudes are probably going to throw a spear. It's going to be the end of my life. Verse 4, but Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. And he threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him and they wept there. Have you ever had a situation where you visualize something happening only to have the exact opposite happen? See, that's the power of God in the midst of our conflict. It wasn't just that Jacob dealt and owned his conflict. Esau had also allowed God to deal with the conflict in his life and say, I know my brother stole my birthright. I know he stole my blessing, but God, you are my blessing. And God, you are enough. And because you're enough, I can face any conflict in my life. And Esau goes on to say this. They don't just weep together. It says, then Esau looked up and he saw the women and the children and it said this, who are these with you? He asked and Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. Your servant. God's graciously given them. I didn't deserve this. And guess what? I'm your servant. I know I've done you wrong. I'm here. I'm here to serve you. You know why reconciliation is so important? Because reconciliation doesn't change, just change us. Reconciliation reshapes the next generation. It breaks the cycle of the family of origin. The unhealthy things that have been passed down. 
to our family, the unhealthy patterns in our life, God begins to break open when we allow Jesus to reconcile us, when we allow Jesus to be our blessing. Oftentimes you and I feel very alone in the midst of conflict. And the good news is this, we have an older brother like Esau who is walking towards us, except the good news is this, the older brother who's walking towards us isn't coming with 400 dudes to destroy us. The older brother who's walking towards us is Jesus Christ and he's come to bring us home. He's come to bring us home in the midst of our brokenness. He's come to say, I know you've messed up. I know you've stolen. I know you've looked for other things to bless you. I know you've wronged people. I know you've come home with all sorts of conflict, but I'm telling you, I'm the God of reconciliation. I don't just do resolution, I do reconciliation. This is why 2 Corinthians chapter five is so important that God through Christ has reconciled us and is reconciling the world. And then he says this, and you and I are his ambassadors as God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Your ministry, your calling is not just to be reconciled to God, but to go and reconcile this world to him. You wanna see your relationships flourish? Allow the God of reconciliation in to the conflict that you carry today. Man, I've been praying over this last break. God, would you do the supernatural over the next month here in your church? Father, for families that are estranged, for coworkers that are estranged, for spouses that are estranged, for moms and dads with their sons and daughters, God, would you begin to do a healing work when it looks like there's nothing but a dead end ahead of us? God, by your grace, would you do a new work? And I'm telling you, you have a God of the impossible. You have a God who changes hearts. You have a God who changes us and gives us a new name. And here's what I want you to do. I want you just to tell him right now what your conflict is. Jacob knew what his conflict was. And he prayed about it. I don't know what your conflict is. I know what my conflict is. And there's these three phrases before I'm going to invite you just to pray to God to begin this conversation with him. And maybe in this moment, you've never talked to God about this conflict. It's always been up to you. And again, I just want to put these three phrases up before we take a moment to pray and ask God to do a reconciling work in us. It's simply this. Maybe your prayer today is, God, I'm just unworthy. You've never confessed that to God before. It's always been everybody else's fault, everybody else's problem. And today what you're going to say is, God, maybe I have something to do with this. And I'm unworthy and I need your grace. Maybe for some of you, you're in a place today where you're going, God, I, I don't see a way out and I need you to save me. God, I need you to save my marriage. I need you to save my relationship, God. I need you to save my college plans. I need you to save this uh, work situation, God. I need you to save this. Or for some of you, God has been calling you to go and reconcile, to go first. And you're going, God, I know I'm supposed to do it, but let me just be honest, I'm afraid. You have the God of reconciliation on your side. Right now, I want to invite you just for a moment right now, just to close your eyes and talk to the God who's come to talk to you. Talk to the God who's come to meet you right where you are. Let's bow our heads and just tell him right now 
the conflict that we carry and what we need him to do in our lives. Let's talk to our Heavenly Father right now. Father, this topic is heavy. And it's heavy because of the way that you've made us. You've made us as relational beings in your image. And so when things aren't right relationally, Father, we feel it. And God, oftentimes we hate it, but we don't know what to do with it. And so Jesus, right now, I just pray. Father, for us, your creation, loved by you, but yet, Father, carrying all sorts of complexity. God, we ask by a move of your Holy Spirit, would you do a good work in our relationships? Father, we know sometimes things don't get resolved overnight. Sometimes it takes years, but so, Father, would you give us the strength to be committed to that? Or Father, if there is a conversation we need to have, Lord, would you give us your power by the Holy Spirit so that relationships can be made right, so that, Father, we can be made right with you. But more than anything, Jesus, we thank you that no matter what conflict we face, we face it with you. You are the God of all peace. You're the Prince of Peace. You're our Savior. And so today, Jesus, we trust you and your good work on the cross to hold us together in our relationships. So Lord, have your way in us, have your way in this world, have your way in our relationships for your glory today. And Jesus, we pray all of this in your powerful name. And all God's people said together, amen. May you walk in his power today, everybody. God bless you.